G'day and welcome to the potty in which I connect with some of the most influential guests from across Australia and the globe to share their very inspirational stories. I was born with cystic fibrosis, a chronic illness in which I was told would most certainly ruin my life. But like many of the incredible humans that I have on this show, I'm on a mission to prove that we aren't defined by our circumstances, but rather how we choose to respond to them. I'm your host, the captain of the ship and the man in charge, Bradley J. Drybra, and this is a lot to talk about. Leadership is the topic of today's podcast conversation. Interesting because I think I, I need to put, a, I guess, a bit of a message in the start of this pod for everyone listening, tuning in, because leadership tends to be one of those topics, and I know what has been for me at some stage in my life, in which I'd look to and question whether it was relevant. And I think that we often think that, right, that leadership is reserved for the coaches, the team captains, the managers, the people in positions of power who you tend to have to follow. But I think leadership is a, is a question that will be asked of you at some point in your life, mm-hmm. whether it's the time you step into the role of being a parent, being a leader for your children, whether it's the time that the manager is sick at work and you're you know, called up to, to be the boss man for the day. I think that we all experience leadership in some way, shape or form, and I know we're all going to talk about it and define it for ourselves and, and talk about leaders that have inspired us in today's episode But what I really want to do to start the ep is ask a question of you and say that when your time to be a leader arrives, you know, how can you step into that role if you've not first thought about leadership, tried to understand it, researched it and experienced leadership in your own life? And so as three young men, we want to talk about what is a really important topic here today. So um, as always, accompanied by two of my best mates on the three mates podcast conversations um in the blue shirt or you know to my side here mr joey plum and also brother ty grief how are we pleasure to be here pleasure to be here and by here a little bit of a change of scenery we're shooting this one in my living room this time so i'll expect you boys to be paying rent for this week (laughs) at least um but yeah I, i i love what you said there brad in terms of when leadership when you're called to be a leader, um, which I'd imagine we all will be at some point in our lives if we aren't already. Um, Yeah, if you haven't thought about it, what are you, how likely are you to be able to um, step up to the plate and and perform optimally? Mm. And that is, I think, something which I hadn't really considered. And maybe the premise for how we got to this topic was, Um, I attended a men's retreat a couple of months ago now and the question was posed to us. How are you a leader in your life? And so it was a group of 10 of us and me, including um, me among the nine men that were there, had the exact same response. I think maybe two of us had considered leadership and and really had a succinct answer and, and could dive into it. The majority of us were like, hmm, how am I a leader in my life? And we hadn't really considered it. And whilst we we were able to explore the concept and, and get to a place where we understood leadership more and identify where we did show up as leaders in our lives currently, it was just something that we hadn't really considered. And yeah, surprisingly, um, 
the majority of us hadn't considered it as men spanning an age from you know mid 40s to to early 20s it was um yeah a concept that that none of us had really 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 considered so it was really fun for me to start exploring that and which i have been over the last couple of months and and yeah to dive into this topic here has been um yeah one that i think will be progressive for all of us um but super thought-provoking for us as young men and yeah well i think sorry i know you're going to jump in there ferns but i think it's important to note that leadership is something that we often define on the sporting field or in those sort of professional arenas but there are plenty of leaders we experience in our life that aren't labeled as such or they don't throw their hand up and say hey i'm the leader but their actions are what makes them a leader and Mm. so i think that when you start to think more deeply about the topic and explore it and think about how that plays a role in your own life and how you know people around you are leaders that you follow you start to identify oh there's a lot of silent leaders in my life mm. people who i didn't think about being leaders i just thought of them as as being that human being in their their role mm-hmm. you know that's something i'm inspired by or something i look to but actually they're leaders and they embody those qualities that make a really good leader and so my, my when you brought up the leadership topic when we're on a walk my reaction was quite similar to yours. Like I've never really considered myself a leader, but the way you framed it in terms of like being a leader for yourself or showing up for yourself, I was like, that's something that I definitely need to get better at or invest a bit of time. So definitely keen to jump into this. Yeah, it's um like like you mentioned at the front of the episode, Brad, it's kind of that that misconception that a leader has to be this this large forward facing figure that, you know, has followers or or has um you know, obvious influence over people and whether it's the CEO or the prime minister or the, the coach or the captain, whatever it might be. Um, where I landed on with leadership is that, and similar to what you're saying, Foons, is leadership can be super, super um, minimized to being a leader of yourself, a leader of your own domain. And I think that's probably the the starting point for leadership for those who are looking to explore it is how do I show up as a leader for myself in my life right now? I haven't got people that are that are relying on me. Re- relying on me. I haven't got the responsibility of, um, you know, a team or, or, a, or you know, I'm not a boss at work. But where do I lead myself on a day to day basis through my actions, through my behaviors, and um, yeah, I will stop us for two seconds though because I've got a cheeky surprise. It is Sunday, and oh. you know what happens on Sundays, boys. Wow, Back this is extra special. I'm very excited for Are this. Are they warm? They, they'd want to be warm. <laughs> um, anyone who doesn't know, on Sundays there is somewhat of a tradition that I haven't been so. Tr- <laughs> I, I must say, I've I've not been able to enjoy this tradition as much as I would have liked to in recent weeks because I I feel like I've been busy sometimes when. You boys are, are at Yachty's on a Sunday getting some Cine Donuts. Um, but I will say that I had just an inkling today not to eat too much because I thought <laughs> there's always something around donuts at Joey's house. So um, I'm very excited for this. We'll enjoy a donut while we chat. Listen to that. That's the ASMR of cinnamon donuts from Yachty's. Mm. <laughs> Beautiful. I have to say something that, something that I think is really like relevant with this topic When we speak about those professional environments like sporting teams and leaders, it's often that the coach doesn't pick 
the captain anymore, but rather the playing group comes together and votes on who they think the leaders in the group are. Mm. And so that's why I think leadership is, it's far more action than words. Where'd you find that out? So being an avid footy fan, I, I remember watching a couple of years ago, the Roosters, like the playing group would get together and they'd vote in who they thought were the, the group leaders for the year. And then the captain would emerge from that. I think it's really interesting that you've got now not only the captain of a team, but you have, um, you know, like a, a captain or leaders within the forward group, within the back line. And it's really interesting that I was watching, um, I was watching an interview the other day and they were talking about, who's the famous Manchester United coach, Sir Alex Ferguson. Mm-hmm. And they were saying that he rarely, rarely ever spoke in the sheds. Yeah, and they it, asked it was why. Like, it was like a couple, two times in the season or something yeah. like that. And they asked why. And he said, because my leaders were out there speaking for me. And I'm like, oh, what a message that is. That the guy who is essentially the coach of the squad and runs the show doesn't have to be that vocal. Mm. Because he, he's picked the people who are going to lead out there on the field. And I that, love that. Yeah, that is that really, I guess, obvious example of leadership where I think his words were, I have my disciples, which were the people that trusted in his leadership so much and understood the the mission, the message that he as a leader was trying to impart on his you know, his team, that he no longer needed to be that figurehead that was making sure things got done. Just quietly, right. these donuts are fucking amazing. <laughs> so yeah, that that is like the ultimate leadership where people will follow your lead when you're not even there. What do you reckon the two words where he spoke that season were? It would have had to be something wise and profound, <laughs> like super vague, but also just like thought provoking. Something along the lines of do better. It's time. <laughs> he walks in the sheds, silence just just washes over the sheds. He takes a, an obnoxiously long amount of time to speak. A deep breath. A deep breath and says it's time and leaves the room. Leaves the room. And yeah. that's the motherfucking leader. Bruce Buffer was in the back of the room and wrote it down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Um, a young Bruce Buffer. <laughs> so where do you want to start, guys? Because I know we, um, we've all done a little bit of homework around um, identifying attributes of leadership. You know, maybe a top three, um, top three attributes of a leader. I did a little bit of a little bit of research as well, and, and spoke to some people who I consider um, really key leaders in my life, or that I can, yeah, identify as key leaders. So, did you guys happen to um, identify a great example of a leader and the attributes that they that they have? Yeah, I'm. I'm and happy who's to kick happy it to off. start? Yeah, I'm go happy for to kick it. it off. So, I guess as Listeners of this segment of the pod will know that we always do some homework. Remember kids, do your homework. And we had two questions to answer this week. The first was, how do we personally define leadership? The second is, um, as you said, Joey, who's a leader that's inspired us and what are the qualities that they embody? And so I guess I'll kick it off with that, that first answer, how I define leadership. I've just written a little definition here in my notes. That definition is, whilst leadership is defined in the Oxford Dictionary as the ability to lead or guide others, to be a good leader, no way. <laughs> um, you must be the master of your own kingdom. You must embody discipline, 
balance your ego. Your actions have to speak louder than your words. You have to accept that life is unfair. You have to share your success with others, but bear all responsibility for the failures you experience along the way. And I think that's a really important one for me is a good leader isn't always so front-facing. And it's something I've had to pull myself up on a little bit, I guess, is that I think maybe at this point in my life, there is a selfishness in me that when my time comes to be a leader of other people, I'll have to really work on that. You know, I have to balance my ego a little bit. That what, wanting to be the the figurehead, the face of the wanting to be cause, the man. The, yeah, wanting to be the man. You know, and it's something. Um, you know, I listened to, <clears throat> actually listened back to a podcast I was interviewed on um, just a couple of months ago, Humankind, with um, Katarina Kuhn, the neuroscientist, and she talks about the neuroscience of self knowledge and understanding how we're wired as human beings, and she talks about the five. Um, types of human beings and and the way that they're wired and you know one of those things being rank and on the way i tested was i'm a high rank person i'm also a high care person which is really rare to have those two in combination and i think as she interviewed me and my story come out through that interview there was some clear examples of why i'm wired that way um but we spoke about rank and how people who are high rank have a little bit of selfishness in them they have to because in is that rank is in status or status yeah exactly so I'm, I'm wired to want to achieve and part of that is i believe because i have a a close relationship with the idea of death and the fact that you know we're quite mortal with my health challenges so i want to achieve and i want to achieve status and success which can make you a great leader because you can be very direct and and defined by the path you know you can be very direct in this is the goal this is the objective we want to get there and we want to make it happen but i think great leaders know how to step into the empathetic side the selfless side mm. the lead by example but not have to be the face of the success but bear all responsibility for the failure mm. you know i think leaders do a great job of that they're very accountable so that would be my definition now if i talk about you know, leaders who have inspired me. This is where it gets really personal for me. So what I've written here is that whilst there are many great leaders that I could point to on the sporting field, the corporate arena, the history books, or the world of military and special operations, and I've been lucky enough to interview some of those guys who I think embody some incredible qualities, no leader has inspired me more than that of my own parents. And when I look at my parents, the, the epitome of unconditional love for their children... And their leadership has been an absolute benefit to my sister and I. And there's a situation, or I should say a memory that I want to call to it, that I think really embodies this quality. And so as a kid, you don't look at your parents and go, they're two leaders. They're the leaders of my home. They're the leaders of my life and my sister's life. You don't look at that and recognize it. You just go, that's mum and dad, and that's what mum and dad do. Mm -hmm. But now with, with age and hindsight, I have the ability to look back and go, Far out, what incredible leaders. And there's this memory that I call to. I was nine years of age. And I remember being at Sydney Children's Hospital for the day and I just had my yearly checkup. Now, my yearly checkup is the one where I go and get the scans on everything. It's a full day. You get there at 6 a.m. and you leave at 6 p.m. because you get CAT scans on your lungs, ultrasounds on your liver and spleen. You do all the blood tests. You do all the extra health checks and the fitness tests. And it's a big day. So I remember 
I'd had that test probably a month before and I went up to my clinic a month later just to get all my results. And my Dr. Morton, who was my regular doctor, sat in front of me and said, um, Brad, we have some, some not so good news. Um, your, your liver ultrasound and your blood tests have um, shown that you've got liver disease. And I remember asking him, what does that mean? And he said, well, it means that your liver and spleen are larger than they should be. They hang not just a little bit, but well below your rib cage. And your liver function isn't as good as it should be. Now, this can be a problem later on in life. It can be a bit of a problem now. And I said to him, so what do we have to do? What changes? And he said, well, you have to take four more tablets a day. And I said, well, that's fine because I take 30 tablets a day anyways. What's another four? Mm. And then he said, and we just have to monitor your liver every year. He also said that I had to quit footy, which absolutely gutted me at the time. But we'll push that to the side for a second because it's not so relevant. <clears throat> but I remember hearing those words and what seemed somewhat scary being liver disease and something we have to monitor every year and you know, now this is a new thing to worry about that I'd never thought about before. I never thought there could be troubles for people with CF with the liver and it only happens to about 10% of people who have CF. But I remember my first reaction after hearing all of those words out of his mouth was I turned and I looked straight at my parents. I didn't say a word, I didn't ask them a question, I turned and looked straight at them and I looked at their body language and they both sat there, very stoic, very posed and they both had a smile on their face and I remember leaving the hospital being in the car and talking to them about it and never once did I sense worry in their voice or concern now I know now that with hindsight they were very concerned freaking out they were terrified but as a kid who you know the energy of the people in the room the energy of your parents the way that they react to situations or challenges you pick up on that and I remember never worrying for my health or never feeling terrified because the two people who were leaders for me at the time were so composed about it. Now, I know that now that I get to talk to them and, and look at it in hindsight, you know, like ducks, their legs were absolutely kicking underwater, figuring, you know, figuring out what this meant for me. Mm. My life, this is another challenge, another bit of uncertainty you don't want to hear as parents. But I think what a quality that that is, that, you know, Whatever is happening in reality, they're, they're able to show up and go, you know, yes, life is unfair. Yes, this is challenging. Yes, this isn't ideal. But right now it may not be our fault, but it is our responsibility and we have to act on it. And I think that's, for me, the epitome of leadership. And when you talk about good quality leadership, it's people who, in the face of adversity, can stay composed and move through that. And I'm like, fuck, you know. Parents, I think parents have the, the greatest opportunity to be leaders because a lot of the other stuff is insignificant, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you can be a leader and lose a big game. Guess what? Season kicks off again in a couple of months and you get a chance to go around again. Mm. You know, as parents, the way that you act and the decisions you make have such an impact on, on those little human beings in your life. Absolutely. I, I have a, a buddy now who is a... I guess not so much a new father anymore. He's got two kids under under three. And he has explained to me that shift of going, I am absolutely needed to the point where without me, this small human being dies. And that's a different type of responsibility that he said, you just can't 
comprehend until you have someone depend on you so much for their life, ultimately, to the point where, you know, I can't duck out to the mailbox without the fear of maybe this newborn is going to roll down the stairs or roll over and hurt itself or or this toddler is going to find itself in the kitchen with the sharp objects. All of this to consider. Hey, buddy, whether you think it or not, you're a leader. Like, as a parent, I don't know if you have the... Um, the choice anymore that's a leadership role and even if you can't lead yourself very well then it's it's probably better to have this conversation before you have kids around <laughs> leadership but you're in it now and i think that development of leadership um is inevitable as a parent well it's interesting because i listened to at the gym yesterday i was listening to podcasts that i'd heard before but really enjoyed and <clears throat> just come across it again and i thought i'm gonna click on and have a re-listen it was Tony Bellew, former mm-hmm. boxing heavyweight champ. And I really like Tony. I love his story. I think he's got a story of real hardship and adversity. And I learned a lot from listening to his book and listening to him on a couple of interviews. And I enjoyed watching him fight back in the day. So I decided to click on again and re-listen to this. And one of the moments that really caught me in the episode was he spoke about his role as a father now and as a husband. And he said, I've been blessed with many great friends and many great opportunities in my life. But when it all comes down to it, the only thing that matters in my life is what happens inside the four walls of my home. I brought those children into the world with my wife. That was my decision and my responsibility of those two kids and my wife. Everything outside of that is insignificant. And I thought about that perspective. And I'm like, it's so true that you can have so many things in your life that are important, that you look to, that you enjoy, that that you give time to, the minute you bring children into the world, it's just they're the first priority. They just yeah, those those things just pale in significance compared to the old stuff that mattered. Most definitely. Yeah. And the scary thing is <clears throat> that I hear too often people have the conversation, oh, wait until they have kids, that'll straighten them out. Or, you know, you need some responsibility, you know, have a kid. I'm like, no. <laughs> As you said, get yourself in check before that happens. Mm. And so I love what we spoke about and, and how you framed it, Joey, when we spoke about leadership, which, as you mentioned, Ferns, was new to me too, this idea of leading yourself. And I'll let you dive into that a little bit more when you, you speak about your definitions and your understanding of it. But I really love this concept. And one thing that I've taken on board at the moment in my own life is, you know, we've spoken about it a couple of times on the pod, it feels like it's been somewhat a turbulent year for me in the area of my, my work and my finances. Mm-hmm. And so something I've taken real ownership of lately is it's my job to get myself out of that rut. And, you know, Soph and I have been knuckling down, working really hard, and, and we've spoken lately about the chaos of life, but also, you know, being able to walk that line between chaos and order. And, and part of the order is, you know, getting our house in order. Going to work, doing the hard shit, making the sacrifices, being more disciplined in certain areas. For me, I've had to be so much more disciplined with my spending. And I'm like, man, I've got to be be a leader so that me in six months can look back and go, fuck, that man got us out of that situation. Mm -hmm. Like, I respect that. I respect the way I showed up in my life at that point in time. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's why leadership is, it's a topic we can discuss in theory, but it's really something to be... Um, defined by action. Mm, absolutely. So what 
we've identified your parents as you know key leaders in your life what are some of the attributes you know one two if not three that you are able to to kind of identify in them as key leadership attributes the number one that stands out is resilience Mm -hmm. i think you know as we spoke about before being able to to take a knock and keep moving forward and, and stay composed about it the other is optimism you know, optimism yeah, i think right. it's, it's so important because i think the energy of the group or the energy of the people who are the followers who look up to the leaders is you know that energy and that tone is set by the people who are leading the way you know it's really really hard to feel good about hardship or adversity or the chaos of life when everyone around you is crumbling you know i, I remember speaking to you boys about we're just talking about how crazy it is that you know um, I was overseas last year in October, but it's even crazier that the three of us were in Melbourne for the marathon and just a couple of weeks before that. And remember I was telling you guys about how I got to the 37K mark and we started going up the hills and I just met up with a, a pacing group who were on track to run my goal time of sub four hours. And I remember looking around the group and thinking, oh, this is great. I've got a group of people that can pace me to the finish line. And then looking at the energy of the group and everyone's heads were down, they were like basically stumbling, you know, one foot after another. And, you know, there were like people like making those, those like moans, like those helpless moans, like, oh, like I'm ready to give up. And I just remember thinking, I'm going to lead this group. Yeah. (laughs) They need a leader. I remember thinking, (laughs) I'm in no space to lead them. I'm going to get the fuck out of here. (laughs) Because I was like, that energy is going to- They're all dead weight. Yeah. I was like, that energy is going to bring me down. And it's, and it's really like for me being at that point of the marathon for the first time ever, somewhat feeling like I could finish a marathon strong, mm. being able to identify that the energy was going to bring me, bring me down. It was going to hold me back and being able to go, man, right now when I'm at a point of struggle, this is like infectious, <coughs> mm. far too infectious in a really negative way. And so I think, you know, good leaders remain optimistic they have to be realistic. Yeah, that, they remain optimistic. That's where I was going to push back. Where does the, you know, realism, transparency, honesty, come versus the optimism, the hope, the faith? Because I initially thought of Leonidas, you know, the Spartan warrior leader, when they're going up against, you know insurmountable odds an army that's never been beaten and they're outnumbered by the thousands and i think of leonidas as the the core leader and the speeches that he makes they are realistic saying i know this is going to be hard yeah we might be outnumbered yeah we might be afraid but it's always always has an undertone of optimism Mm. of being like but we're going to do this or at least if it's not optimistic it's it provides hope. So yeah, I can't, I'm trying to think of where where negativity is a strength of leadership and nothing's really coming to me where it's like, you know, maybe the classic, you're doing shit, you suck and you might get more out of your player or your team member or whatever, but how sustainable is that? And I don't know if that's the sign of a, a great leader if you lean on negativity too often. What? I would say that the one thing that maybe come to my mind there is maybe even a little bit of rhetoric for my own answer 
is there is I wouldn't say pessim pessim to be pessimistic or to be a pessimist is the answer to this problem, but you do see sometimes when things are going too well, like the un the unrealistic optimism of it will always be this way. Mm can fail people. And so that's where I think just being realistic or for me, I think being realistic comes from being disciplined, you know, being disciplined and knowing that even when things are going well, you know, good leaders consistently show up in the same way with the same output, with the same energy Mm. because they know that things won't always be great. Mm -hmm. I was thinking like about NRL teams, one say 10 in a row, I think a good leader running that pack would say, like, just don't get complacent. Like, it's not always going to be this easy. I think mm. that's probably not... It's probably optimism in a sense. Like, it's obviously, it's never going to be... It's not going to be... Like, you're not always going to keep winning. Mm. But I suppose enough... Yeah, hindsight to know it's not going to always be like this. Yeah. And that's, I guess, yeah, that's where that realism, realisticness, whatever the phrase is, is, um, yeah, super important as a leader. Well, the last thing I'd say is I believe that good leaders also have leaders in their own life. And we spoke about this before. You know, how can you step up to the plate and be a good leader if you've never experienced good leadership? Mm. So one of the things I've been thinking about is whilst I have great leaders in my life, who are the mentors in, in certain areas of my life? Like I, I think about my work. There's people I look to and I'm inspired by, but I don't have any sort of contact or, or ability to learn from them. Like, there's not really a leader in my in my work that I can look to and, and learn from, you know, who I can look to and go, walk in a similar path to that of the one that I want to walk. I'm going to ask questions, observe, you know, follow in their footsteps for a little bit and see how they handle situations or challenges that come up. And I think it's really interesting that, you know, if I look at my last couple of years, a lot of my challenges have come from walking into this space blind and not knowing what lay ahead not having someone to go hey be prepared for the fact that in 12 months time this probably isn't going to look the way that you wanted it to and so i think that good leaders you know when you talk about parents often parents have their parents to look to and and go well what are the qualities that they done a really good job of embodying when i was a kid Mm. and and what can i take from that and what are some of the things that i feel like they could have done better that I want to bring to the table mm-hmm. as a parent. But often when it comes to our work, we, we don't have that. Some people are lucky too, but I think that, you know, good leaders have mentors. Yeah. I love that. The 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 idea that you have to experience good leadership in order to be able to, you know, cultivate good leadership in yourself. Other, otherwise, like, what are you drawing from? And I guess yeah. if you haven't had a specific person, a thought exercise like what we're doing and being like, who do we consider good leaders? That's our exposure to good leadership. Let's just try to replicate some of that. If you've never had a good leader in your life, just do the opposite to what you've seen and you're probably in a good, good position. You can't lose. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, very cool. So resilience and optimism as key attributes of leadership that you can identify in um, your parents as, as leaders. Yeah. Have, you, have you had that conversation with your parents? Yeah, I definitely have. And I think that the last... The last couple of years for me has been has been a really good opportunity to reflect on that and have those conversations with them. I think the more vocal, because I, I, I don't know, I think a lot of people through the lens of the podcast have seen me 
really vocal about my health, but probably don't realize that outside of my friends and the people who were in my life and watched me take a bunch of tablets every day and clearly knew that I had cystic <coughs> fibrosis, I was healthy for the first 18 years of my life. So we didn't really speak of the challenges of my health. I was aware that, you know, my parents worked very hard and sacrificed a lot for me as a kid. But until I ran my first marathon, my parents never told me that my first doctor told them that I'd be lucky to survive my teenage years. Did you only know that in the last yeah, couple of years? That, that, that's been a new revelation for me. Wow. wow. And that's what I speak about. What incredible people that they never allowed the, the negativity or the adversity of those early years influence the way that I looked at my future. It's a heavy pill for a young kid to swallow. It's like something that's probably best kept for sure. But yeah, but it's also a credit to you because I thought that was this one key moment, memory, story that you had from your parents that was just this driving force that you've always kind of lent on from the age of nine or ten, being like, my parents stood up and walked out of that doctor's room based off his words, and now I'm gonna, you know, repay them. But you were doing that anyway without without yeah, I just, knowing the story. I never knew that. And they sort of handpicked my first doctor, Dr. Morton, after that experience because he was optimistic like they were. Yeah. And and I think that hope is the best medicine that many of us can have. And, and obviously, um, you know, there are some realities that you have to face and understand when you've got cystic fibrosis. I had to understand that, you know, if I didn't do what was required of me to stay well, there would be dire con consequences. And, you know, when you'd hear the stories or you'd go to clinic every eight weeks and you'd see other sick kids and you, you would recognise that you were having a very different experience to that of them, but it was never it was never something I considered would be my reality or my destiny because I had these two incredibly optimistic people who, who had a, a brilliant way of absorbing the hardship but not letting me see that. Mm. You know, that. And it speaks to their resilience and their strength. But I've had those conversations with them and I think part of what's allowed me to do that was when I wrote the book. When I wrote the book, I started asking more questions of them. You know, like, what was this experience like from your perspective? You know, to talk about the early years of your life is only so much you can recall and speak on before a certain, a certain age. And so I, you know, I... I guess, sought counsel from them essentially as to what those years were like. And, you know, even talking to my dad about it today, one one gent that I've really looked to and, and just been utterly inspired by is a, is a guy by the name of Ashley Kane. Ashley's a former mm. professional footballer who um, lost his little girl Azalea to cancer. And the story is just one of those, every time I hear this guy on a pod, it just brings me to tears. Like it's just, I can't even imagine what it would be like to lose you know, a little one and, and even listening to him this morning on a pod, you know, with, I was thinking about leaders and I think this guy's an incredible leader, the way he, he leads for that community now and wants to help, you know, raise money for cancer. He's got a foundation in his daughter's name that he doesn't want other parents to experience what he and his partner did. And I think about, as I was listening to him today, I thought about my parents and thought, whilst my parents didn't lose me, I'm sure that it's something they had to grapple with. You know, and, and Ashley speaks about the fact that he loves his, his partner to bits and they created, you know, the most beautiful gift together and their daughter that they ever got to experience. But the grief was so crippling 
they just couldn't move forward as, as partners anymore. And so now they're friends and they support each other and lean on each other, you know, but they're not, you know, partners under the same roof anymore. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my dad mentioned that that's one of the things that I was telling dad about this guy. And he said one of the things that they said to, my, to your mum and I very early on was not many parents survive this. Like many, many relationships and marriages will break down because their children have CF. Mm, wow. And, and I just think it's, it's such a credit to my parents. They obviously separated later on in life when I was, you know, I, think I was 11 at the time, 12, and I was really well by that point. But, you know, even through my challenges as a young man, they were always both there. Mm. And so I just think that as you know, leaders can put those things to the side and still move forward and do their job. And I'm like... And that's you know, resilience too. So for me, it's yeah. there's, there's plenty of people I could point to in a sporting arena, um, but nothing has had as much significance as those two people as, you know, incredible examples of that for me. And definitely as a guy who wants to bring kids into the world in, in a couple of years' time, I think, you know, I'm very lucky that I'm sure when I'm having a challenging day, um, I can pick up the phone and call two people and, and seek their counsel and feel like I have that support and that those mentors in my corner. So I'm very blessed. Or at the very least go, what would mum and dad do? Yeah. <laughs> what would they do right now? How would you yeah. say more optimism or more resilience in your life right now would help you? Well, this is an interesting point because I think because of the firsthand experience I've had with them, they're probably two of the things I don't struggle with. You know, I think for me it's – for me probably – the more challenging thing is, is the realistic side of things. You know, sometimes calming myself down and, and going, that mountain doesn't need to be conquered tomorrow. You know, you're, yeah, okay. you're moving in that direction and it's not a bad thing to put the pace on every now and then, but you don't need to put that weight on your shoulders yet. Mm. You know, there's a, there's a time and a place for that. And, you know, I think that's the role of, it's often the role of a coach, right? We, we spoke about the boxing analogy before with a guy like Tony Bellew. You know, the coach often says, all right, I know you want that strap around your waist. I know you want that world title, but not right now. We're going to take these two fights first. We're going to work our way up to that. And probably the one thing in my life I struggle with is I'm not very patient. <laughs> yeah. There, there is not a lot of patience. And I, and I definitely think that there are times in your life where you have to be selfish I think there's still a lot of selfish streak in me. And I'm probably in, in many ways blessed to have a partner that is so selfless and isn't very individually focused because I think that if I had a partner who, you know, was as maybe selfish at times as I am, like it'd be, it'd be challenging <laughs> because I am so like, you know, my goals are like my goals and I'm charging towards that. And so I, if I think about it, it's a good question, Ferns. I'm trying to, to reflect a little bit on the spot here of the qualities I need to do a better job of embodying to be a leader. Is I, sometimes I guess I can be a little bit erratic. Or I come up with an idea and it like, I can sometimes shift plans or move plans to try and focus on that. I think part of being a leader is like you've accepted a role and you need to see out that commitment. And so there's areas of my life in which I'm, I'm very stable. But definitely when I come to my career, there's plenty of stuff that, that is challenging for me right now to come to terms with. Mm. And I think I, I need to get better at 
at balancing some of those things. And I've got a a podcast tomorrow I'm going on as a guest. I'm going to Mark Burris pod, Straight Ooh. Talk, which I'm really excited <laughs> for. Um, but one of the things I definitely want to talk to Mark about is that business side of things. I think that, mm-hmm. you know, being able to, and one of the things I really respect about Mark is, you know, that guy balances so many things in his life. How do you do that? How do you do that without one thing crumbling? Yeah. How, how do you like move so many things forward in your life? Because I guess a part of being a leader is you know, the balancing act of having different dynamics that are following you, different responsibilities. And so, you know, right now as a young man, my responsibilities are very few. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my responsibility is to, to be a good partner, to keep my health in check, mm-hmm. to continue moving forward towards my goals and, you know, somewhat to earn some money and keep, you know, food on the table and bills paid and a roof above our head, which at times I've struggled with because I'm, I'm used to being so selfish. But definitely I think, you know, seeking those opportunities in someone like Mark tomorrow was as a mentor in that business space to really pick his brain about the things that have worked for him. And, you know, so I think sometimes, sometimes I have tried to step into the role of being the the success story too early. Right. And I, I don't think that in many areas of my life, like I even think about my real estate career, I had plenty of really great agents around me who, you know, could have been leaders or mentors, but there's almost this little, um, chip on my shoulder where I think because people have doubted me in the past I'm trying to prove to everyone that I can you know put the belt around my waist tomorrow you know when it's like sometimes that that doesn't serve you well whilst I think it's a great quality to have that I'm that I'm passionate and driven Mm. sometimes um, even as a leader or as someone who who believes they have qualities that can embody the kind of success that they want sometimes you have to you have to accept there's people around you you can learn from. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, there's just a maturing that occurs because you arguably might not have sought that counsel or, you know, that mentorship because you were succeeding. You were doing good. You're nailing it. So you're like, the fuck's this guy going to teach me? I'm like, I'm doing all right. I'm killing it by my standards, by the metric that I'm, you know, using for success until you get put flat on your ass and you're struggling at this thing that you thought you were going to succeed at way earlier and then the maturing happens and goes damn maybe i need to like step back and actually you know look up to someone take take be led by someone and i feel like that's exactly where we're at right now is Mm. this you know this complex of you being like maybe not requiring mentorship or or you know utilizing leaders in your life because of this chip on your shoulder your words now that you're at a space being like man i i actually need help with this pod i want it to go further i actually need help in this area of my life and career or whatever it may be i want to go further and now you're starting to seek that leadership mentorship or ask the questions of yourself how how can i lead myself better and i think that's just maturing when we're all young men we kind of have this this um yeah this idea that we we've got it figured out we know it's we know what's best for us and what's that guy going to teach me until we need to get taught man but i'm really interested in the 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 response that you'll get from mark when you do pose the questions around leadership and and how he manages to maintain a high level of success and be a leader in these different aspects of his life because it it's 
the question of is a good leader a good leader everywhere? Like I'd be interested in knowing how um, is it Sir? What was the Sir Alex, Sir Alex Ferguson? The best leader as a football coach. But I wonder what he's like as a leader, as a parent. Probably been through three divorces. Or a leader, yeah, as a partner or a leader of himself. Like maybe we can we can humanize these leaders that we idolize and go, they're not perfect leaders across the board. They're amazing leaders in this domain that we see them excelling in. But does that mean that they're leaders everywhere? And... If they are, great, let's learn from them. But also understanding that maybe that's like it's it's give ourselves some grace if we're not the perfect leader in every avenue of our lives, be it family, business, relationship, um, sport, etc. Because leadership, I think, can be quite um, specific. You can be a great leader at work, but maybe not the best leader at home or vice versa. So, yeah, just some food for thought. What do you reckon, Foons? Um, <laughs> do you want to dive into... Thanks, Brad, with, as well. Um, That's right. With my one, I started off obviously working on leadership and then I went off on a huge tangent that I don't know if it has too much to do with leadership. So, if you want to go next, I'll finish it off on a tangent. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. I'll jump in. Um... Joey wanted you to go next so he could eat his second donut. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I've had my second. That's Foonies. Oh, is it? I think so. Um, yeah, so like I said, explored this idea of leadership at this um, this men's retreat that I went on. And quite quickly, although I hadn't considered myself a leader, was able to identify where I am a leader in my life. Um, so as you may or may not know, I'm self-employed for the last 10 years as a freelance director and cinematographer. So I find myself on set and the scale of projects that I work on now being you know small to medium size, sometimes operating with up to 10 crew members plus talent. Um, my role means that a lot of the questions that, are, that arise on set, a lot of the problems that pop up, um, they're, they're brought to me as the director, as the facilitator of the set or as the camera guy. So ultimately, I'm in a leadership position on set where I have a responsibility, not just to the, the project, technically making sure that I can, can do my job, but also to the client to be able to communicate what's happening, to make sure that I have people on board. Um, ultimately, we're, we're trying to succeed in this one mission, create this video, this ad, this commercial, whatever it is, and someone has to... to it's obviously a collaborative team effort, but kind of the hierarchy kind of lands the the director, sometimes the DP, the the cinematographer. They're kind of the leaders of the set. They're the they're the ones that have the answers. And so when I started to realize that, oh shit, I am a leader, and I do actually enjoy being in that leadership role, and I don't actually um, shy away from the responsibility of of making those decisions. Then I think back to my youth i was school captain of my primary school i'm like that's literally the leader of the of the school so obviously i was displaying leadership qualities then but hadn't really considered it i've got an extensive sporting background um you know 
captaining some teams here and there. I wasn't really the the captain of the sporting team always. I think I'm not sure if I was consistent enough to be that that player that players could lean on as a as a captain for the whole season. Um, but definitely in a senior role in in most of the teams I was in, yeah, there's huge leadership, I guess examples there as well so i, I kind of started to pick apart these different areas of my life and go oh yeah shit i have been a leader i just wasn't really calling it leadership i was just kind of taking pride in doing my best and and trying to help other people around me to do their best and in a nutshell that's like that's leadership so um admittedly i didn't dive into a, a definition until about 30 seconds before we started <laughs> recording but i still am pretty happy with this definition of leadership that I just kind of intuitively got to. And so what I wrote here is leadership, the ability to influence through your behavior, knowledge, lived experience, and or schools of thought. So if I think of leadership, the ability to influence, full stop, to be a leader, you kind of need to be able to influence. And how do you influence well it's through your behavior how are you showing up what are your actions as you spoke about brad you know a leader needs to lead through action but say you you're not capable of being the 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 guy that's in the trenches or the the guy that's acting well you can do it through your wisdom and your knowledge you know as a leader you can impart pieces of wisdom to people knowledge um you can do it through lived experience again that's their wisdom or you can do it through the schools of thought philosophers great examples of leaders you know aurelius stoic philosophy people nowadays especially young men are really finding themselves um turning towards stoicism as an example to help cultivate cultivate the type of men they want to be and the leaders that they want to be and so i think um those ways of leading a kind of an all-encompassing way of looking at a leader but in a nutshell it's the ability ability to influence it's really interesting you mentioned the stoics because we had a conversation about this a few weeks ago over coffee um as soon as there weren't any women around we started talking about the roman empire <laughs> and um as men do but no we, we spoke about the stoics and the influence some of those stoics and those stories of the stoics and the philosophy has had an impact on us individually and one of the things that you know just sprung to my mind there when you mentioned it was, you know, as soon as Marcus Aurelius was appointed as the emperor of Rome, he appointed co-emperorship to um, his stepbrother. So you speak about a really selfless act immediately, in saying that I'm not going to rule the empire by myself, and I'm going to give up some of the power to my stepbrother, who doesn't have a claim to this. But, but I think that's a really healthy trait. And I think it's interesting. Do you think that when we think about leaders, you spoke about leading by example and influencing. It's hard to influence when people haven't seen you go through the challenges of being a follower or being a good follower. And so I wonder, like, you know, when we talk about leaders and qualities, you said that you think that maybe at points in your, your sporting career you were too inconsistent to be the team captain all the time and i'm i'm assuming correct me if i'm wrong here you don't mean inconsistent in performance but rather in your desire to rock up and lead 
Is that what you mean? Uh, maybe a bit of both. To be honest, you know, I I consider myself, especially in my in my younger years playing sport, um, maybe a little bit erratic in like when I'm on, I'm on. It's like a Latrell Mitchell. Latre- yeah. It's hard. It's hard to make Latrell Mitchell the captain because he's like he's he's obviously got the ability and he's he's an amazing player but there's just a, a little consistency piece there whether it's his performance or whether it's um you know his reliability maybe it's hard to make him the the backbone the spine the foundation of your team and that's what i visualize the captain or the leader as and me playing sport in in i guess less of a mature space in my life i was kind of just interested in like playing my best and my best often meant that the team did well but as a leader and a captain that's not really the mindset of being like if i played shit but the team played good the leader should be like awesome but if we lost but i had a killer game i'm like job done baby i'm good and i don't think that's that's not conducive of being a, a sporting captain i think I think if you even if you yourself play well, you know Nathan Cleary could play well. These are rugby league players, by the way. You could he can play well, but the team loses. As a as a leader, he's not satisfied with that. Yeah, it's like you play really well, but the team doesn't. You're like no credit to the boys today. <laughs> yeah, and so but, maybe that's what I meant. But half, isn't half this credit. a? <laughs> but isn't this an interesting topic? It's it's funny you mentioned Nathan Cleary because he's not the captain of that side. He's not. No, Isaiah Yo is. Are they not co-captains? Um, I, to some degree. But you look at Isaiah Yo, he's the guy that has the C next to his name. He's the guy they identify as the team captain. If you think about the qualities that he embodies as now a three-time premiership captain, three times in a row, he's a guy that rocks up and does his job. Consistency. He's very consistent. Consistency. He, he's more softly spoken. I don't know what he's like in that arena, but he's less outspoken in the media. Mm. He speaks very humbly. Mm-hmm. He's one of those more quiet characters, and I think... You know, is the team captain ever really the person who is super erratic, who likes the media attention, who's often the guy doing the press? Yeah, maybe not in team sports. You I know, it's just whatever's authentic to you. Like, I think there'd be a, a massive spectrum of leaders. Mm. Just whatever's mm. all authentic to you. Yep. It's interesting, though, because I think that I wonder, like, as a leader, if you are the guy who gets all the attention... It'd be pretty hard to dial that down and like balance your ego so that you can walk into the shed and not be the guy that the others despise. Yeah, and again, in a team sport, I think that's navigating that would be yeah, but then very tricky. All the responsibilities will keep you humble as well. You've got the attention, but it comes at a cost. Yeah, you, like you, you got you got to perform. It's not always good attention. Mm, yeah, true. Yeah. Um, so, who's a leader that inspires you, Joey? So. Yeah, even last episode when you put us on the spot, Foonzy, you said... The baker at Yachty's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think you asked us, Foonie, you know, if there was if there was someone that you could, um, you know, embody and, and take their life type deal, who would it be? And I really struggled with that answer because I don't really fanboy or look up to that many people. And I say that in like the celebrity, you know, public figure space. Um, there's a lot of people that I like I admire their work and I respect what they do but this idea of being like that's the guy I look up to mm. it's quite difficult for me for whatever reason and I don't really find myself um yeah doing that too often but I do um and I did 
have a conversation with my coach at jiu-jitsu grand barlow um and he knows what i think of him but publicly um i think he's he's a, a really great example of a leader and an amazing man and human being and so you know i, I spend a lot of time at the gym and in conversation with him around jiu-jitsu and outside of jiu-jitsu and i've lent on a couple of his answers around what it means to be a good leader and so i asked him this um last week or maybe the week before so what what are the attributes that you see as important um for leadership and his answers were interesting so he said and i put him on the spot as well but he was you know adept enough to be able to come up with it quite quickly so he said um the ability to communicate communication mm. and that's quite obvious that ties in well with your influence piece if you can't communicate you can't really influence yeah how old is this guy for reference? Uh, 41 maybe, 41, maybe 42. Um, yeah, so communication, key attribute. You need to be able to, to talk. You need to be able to um, communicate the message, communicate the mission. You need to get people on board with what's happening here. Use your words. Listen. You need to be able to receive the feedback. You need to, need to be able to hear the troubles, the problems that are arising in order to be able to communicate the solution. Listen and talk. His third one I thought was super interesting. And he said, judgment of character. You need to be able to judge the character of people and have a grasp on the character of those who you're trying to lead and influence mm. because not everyone's led the same way. And this is what we spoke about really briefly just before we hopped on the pod. Not everyone responds to the same types of leadership. And leadership is not a cookie cutter skill set because the way that I'm led might be very different to the way that you're led. And I'd argue very different to the way that you're led, Funi, based off of our upbringing, based off of our lived Don't experience. Don't argue too hard. <laughs> <laughs> and we've seen that those differences, you know, pop up on the podcast. For me, I know through my um, sporting history and having a number of coaches, the different coaching styles which worked and which didn't work for me. The coaches which were the drill sergeants, which, which were like, you guys messed up, you're getting punished. Come on, we need 100% effort. I need the intensity. If you're not gonna give me this performance, you're dropped. It's like military sort of training. That military style of coaching and leadership didn't work for me. But I could see how it just tapped into something for other people. The Goggins effects, we, all, we often talk about it. This idea that, like, I can respect what David Goggins is doing and, you know, all all hats off to him, but I'm not really getting jacked up on his coaching or leadership style because I think he's speaking to a cohort of people who need that slap in the face to wake up, who need that kick in the butt to get going. He's talking to the 300-pound addicted to, to um, like, obese and addicted to fast foods version of himself that was like, get the fuck up right now. Stop being a bitch. Excuse my language. But that's that's his coaching style. Works for a lot of people. Wouldn't work for me. Maybe that's because I grew up without a father figure in the home. Maybe because there's a there's a, a disconnect with authoritative male figures for me. This is me psychoanalyzing myself. Where that kind of, you know, authoritative manner doesn't land. I need love. 
I need to be nurtured. I need to be propped up. And that's what the coaches who were successful in coaching me in sport, they would get the best out of me when I was like, Joe, they'd put their hand on my shoulder. I said, Joe, relax. I want you to flow. I want, I want to see that mojo. And it became a little thing where, where the best coaches for me would, would speak about my mojo. Man, when you've got that flair, Joe, when you've got that mojo happening, you're unstoppable. Let's get to that. Because they knew I was intense enough in my head. I was playing the, the drill sergeant for myself. It wasn't working if, if the leadership style doubled down on that. And so I guess the judgment of character from these leaders that, um, that I had in my life and what Grant is speaking to as a key attribute is being able to judge the character of the people that you were leading, that you're influencing. Listen to, the, to the, the messages that they're giving you, whether it's working or not, and communicate back to them. Can I How challenge things, you on something quickly? Please do, man, yeah. Because I'm, I'm just thinking about what you said there where you don't respond to that dictator style of leadership. Mm. I would say similar for me personally. However, I was just thinking about a character like a David Goggins who I can sit down and listen to mm-hmm. and go, fuck, that inspires me when I know I'm bitching out or I'm not working hard enough or I've been lacking discipline in my own life to get up and go after it. Mm-hmm. Now, I thought, so why... Why do I respond to that, but I wouldn't respond to someone in the workplace yelling at me like that if they were a leader or a boss? And I would say that you spoke about your, your coaches through your sporting career, being, being able to lean into putting a hand on the shoulder and talking about your mojo and, and getting to the bottom of what they know makes you tick. I wonder though, because as a young man, you haven't had the experience of, of watching them do what they're telling you to do and they don't earn your respect in that way because you've known them only as coach you've known them only as the leader in that situation but you've not watched them as the person who once performed in that space i think you know with goggins we've all been able to somewhat follow hear about watch the story of a man who took himself from that 300 pound couch potato to the ultra endurance freak and this you know hero in the military and so there's a level of respect that's earned because you go well he he lives by his own word Mm -hmm. he he has the right to say that he has the right to lead in that way but i wonder if like you know basically what i'm asking is do you think that it depends on the context in which the followers have been able to experience the leader and whether they'll respond to that or not um i think absolutely i think respect the word you mentioned then is almost you know a prerequisite in order to influence people and it might be a little bit tricky to wrap your head around but when i say this i'm also meaning influence yourself as well respect you have to respect yourself in order to be able to be a leader of yourself Mm. so when we talk about leadership as well like we said at the start of the episode it starts with being able to lead yourself so if you don't respect yourself, it's going to be very difficult to lead yourself forward in a positive way. Likewise, if you if you don't respect the coach, it's really hard to be led by them. So respect, I think, has, is paramount to leadership. How respect is gained, I think, comes in a different manner of ways. But to answer your question, some of the leaders, be it the captains of the team, you know, if I'm stepping into first grade as a as a 16-year-old, fresh-eyed, green hockey player and I've got Australian representatives 
playing I'm playing alongside them and they're my captains but they have the authoritative drill sergeant style of coaching still didn't work okay. I can acknowledge they're the best player on the field and they they are able to do things that I could only dream of doing at that stage still didn't work it just it just wasn't my style mm. and so whilst I respected them they as leaders weren't getting the best out of me because that wasn't that wasn't the style that was working for me and so yeah so I think even when you can can see what people are capable of they're credible in their craft you can see that it's working for other people sometimes that leadership style just doesn't work for you and that can maybe a bit of a tangent but that can come down to bosses that can come down to um therapists you know there's different styles that work for different people sometimes you just have to admit that like hey i'm sure you're really great for someone else just not the right fit for me and so as a leader i think yeah it's it's very similar different leadership styles work for different people it's likely why when you look at parents and i was just talking to two of my neighbors about this today i, I bumped into them in the, in the park and they had their two little girls with them and i think one of the little their eldest girl emmy's nearly four and the youngest is you know just a couple months old vivian and i was talking about how well the kids have always behaved and i said is that just for show or like what are they like when they're at home and they said oh you know they play out when they're at home when they're out in public everyone thinks they're angels and you know they're talking about how you know mum is usually good cop and dad's bad cop right in their house and we were laughing about that but i think it's a really interesting point that you know when you think about leaders with you know leaders in environments where they have a number of followers or a number of people who they can influence sometimes you need not just a leader who can tap into different styles of leadership, but sometimes you need multiple leaders mm. to make sure that, you know, the mission moves forward, that you continue to progress because, you know, similar to you, Joey, I said, I don't really, I don't really respond to that authoritative sort of very dictatorial leadership. I am, I'm the kind of person who likes to sit down and feel respected. Mm-hmm. I like to feel like someone respects me and is willing to have a conversation with me and level with me mm-hmm. about where they think that I can improve. Because I think that for me, constructive or, or critical leadership is really important. The way that that's delivered for me, and you spoke about communication as you know, something that Grant identified as one of those skills being really important. But I wonder that, and it, make, it makes a really good point, that not everyone that have, has influence is a leader e- either. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. If we look at some of the the top tier celebrities with the most influence in society nowadays, damn, they shouldn't be leading anyone. The only thing they're doing is leading people astray. Huge influence, maybe not great leaders. Um, But yeah, so they were the three attributes Grant identified. And I think to give credit to him as the the head of a jiu-jitsu academy and a gym, and he's a personal trainer, one of his core attributes, which um, really is, is, is quite impressive, is his work ethic. And we spoke about it at the front of the episode. He's, he's walking the walk and he's talking the talk. He's there before anyone else, leaves after everyone else. He's, um, he's, we, we see him in real time put into practice the things he's asking of us. So that respect component pretty inherent like it's hard not to respect what what he's got going on and what he's doing um 
but what I've seen over the last probably year and a half as the Jiu-Jitsu Academy's grown and we have more people competing in Jiu-Jitsu, myself included, is his adaptation to those different personalities and styles and him as a, as a leader and a coach because he, he, his background was in um, soccer, Australian football representative. Um, so he's a competitor. You know, he's got that dog in him. Mm. But as a jiu-jitsu jiu- jiu- coach, that doesn't work for everyone. And I can see him start to mould and change his approaches with different people, me included, and in understanding what works for people and what doesn't. Um, but yeah, work ethic is an attribute that I can identify in him as a as a as a leader for sure. Among the ones that he identified as being important, I think um, when it comes to myself, if I think about the core attributes of leadership, so many, but breaking it down to three. I would say my top one, and you mentioned it before, Brad, capital A, accountability. Mm. Capital A, accountability. If I'm going to lead anyone, starting with myself, I need to be accountable for my actions. There's no blame game happening here. Mm. It's no one else's fault for what's happening here. It's mine. And that's not to be this power control, you know, power tripping leader, but it's, it's taking agency over my life, taking agency over the, the team that I'm trying to influence and going, hey, I'm at the front of this thing because I want to be the leader. And when things aren't going how I want them to go, the responsibility is mine to make the change. It's not anyone else's. Mm. And that's the same on set. If I'm operating on a set, and someone else makes a mistake, the question comes straight back to me is where was I responsible? Maybe I didn't educate the team enough around safety procedures or maybe I didn't let them know or put a a system in place for that to not happen earlier and then how could I learn from that? But it's never a blame game and I think that having that control, that responsibility of control, I think is the key thing for, I mean, young men in general but every leader. Accountability, so important to me. Um, the second one I'd agree with Grant communication you need to be able to talk to people you need to be able to relate to people in order to have any influence over them bringing it back to self-leadership how do you communicate to yourself the negative speak might not work for you it might the grace the compassion the looking yourself in the mirror going you're awesome might work for you how do you communicate with yourself how do you communicate with the people you're trying to influence? So key. Accountability, communication. And then the third one, part of me wanted to say like transparency and honesty. A good leader is the one that's like, hey, stuff's like, re- we really suck right now. Mm. Like this isn't good. Or hey guys, full transparency. Like I'm not happy with what's happening here. Full transparency, um, the team's like probably going to get pulled apart next year or whatever it is. Being honest, open and transparent. Hey guys, I don't think that, you know, we're up to mark, whatever it might be. Part of me wanted to say that, but I think there's also an element as a leader to maybe maintain hope, morale, Mm. optimism is not always being transparent Mm. 
mm. and completely open and honest. So I struggled to put that as my third attribute, but what I did feel really comfortable putting as my third attribute is decisiveness. Yeah, I love that. A good leader makes decisions. And that's not to say it's the right decision, but a good leader is decisive. And in that decision, based off of the, the best knowledge, resources, support, network that they've cultivated for themselves to make that decision, whether it's right or wrong, they're accountable for the outcome. And if it's the wrong decision, their accountability means they'll learn from it and they'll be better informed to make a better decision next time. But what needs to be done by a leader is a decision needs to be made. And I think as young men trying to lead ourselves is having enough lived experience and it's something that I spoke about on my 29th birthday this year was going, I've lived almost three decades now. I've got some shit to say. I've had some experiences. And if I stop and take stock, what have I learned about life, about myself? I'm actually capable of making decisions. I don't need a mummy or a daddy or a boss or whoever to tell me what to do now. I'm arguably a grown man. And whilst, you know, I, I feel like I'm maturing into a developed man, a lot of us find ourselves, you know, leaning on the this like notion of someone else will make the decision whether it's our girlfriend will make the decision or our parents will make the decision or our boss will make the decision if you want to be a leader you've got to make the decision you've got to stick by it you've got to learn from it if it's the wrong decision or if it's the right decision you've got to give yourself credit to be like i am capable of making decisions i can do that thing so yeah they're my three which i feel really good about as a leader you need to be accountable you need to communicate well and you need to be decisive well i love what jordan peterson says on decisions he says that people often think that you know if i don't make a decision if i just sit and i'll wait well then there's no consequence but he's like not making a decision is a major decision yeah. and there will be consequences yeah was it something i read like the decision hierarchy the best decision you can you can make is the right one that's pretty obvious the next best is the worst and then the worst decision you can make is that is none and that yeah. for me that worst decision of making no decision is it's a little bit kind of hard to wrap your head around but it's it's not it's not consciously making the no so i can make the decision to go hey we're not doing anything right now. So that's a decision. Being like, we're standing still, we're neutral. That's a decision. But that also looks very similar to going, uh, uh, um, like, I don't know, are we going to go left? Are we, are we going to go right? Uh, like, do we, go for, do we go back? Same thing. We're stopping still, but I'm not making a decision in one of them. And one of them, I'm making a conscious decision. We're not moving. The one that's detrimental is uh, 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 no, like make a call. Sweeping you know? a problem under the rug. Exactly. Well, I guess the confidence and respect that you have for your own leadership or for leaders in your life is it comes from their decisiveness, their ability to, as you said, take ownership for the decision they made, which was ultimately the wrong one. Mm -hmm. But the fact that like they have the confidence to make a decision inspires confidence in you. Yep. You know, because there's nothing worse. There's nothing worse than sitting there and watching someone fumble their way through and if they're somewhat lucky in not making any decision and like it just so happened that things panned out the way you go 
they still don't You're know like, what I they're doing. I don't buy it. Yeah, they don't know what they're doing. That was just luck. Like yeah. you put it down to pure luck. Yeah. But when they make a decision and they move forward, and then you get to the point of which maybe it was the wrong decision, and you go, well, you allow it. We're all here. You allow it. We're all okay. Yeah. We all live to fight another day. I'll back that person into the next decision they make mm. because ultimately we're all flying blind, but we made a plan to move forward. And, and I, I f- can buy into that. I can buy into it if they're accountable. Yeah. If they make the wrong decision and then they stand up there and go, hey guys, the wrong decision was made. But as you can see, like like the director, he was the one that like signed the, the contract that got us in that financial debt. And then, nah, dude, take accountability of your role in it. No blame or judgment. And I can back you now. But if you're the guy that's like trying to pass responsibility and doesn't have any accountability for the wrong decision that was made, like I can't buy it. So yeah, it's the harder way because you're admitting fault. You're admitting, um, you know, error. You are you have to admit that to yourself. Shit, I thought I had this under control and I didn't. Mm. But that's a powerful thing, powerful thing to cultivate just as a person. Being like, I fucked up. I did my best. Quick side note, is that why it's hard to respect politicians because they take no accountability? It seems that way, man. But also, I feel like the transparency piece there. How transparent is politics? No one knows what the fuck's going on behind closed doors. And that's why it's hard to to buy into, I think. Because one thing's said, another thing's done. And I don't really talk about or go into politics too much. But it... Better let me clear my throat. Yeah. (laughs) But if you just stick with me for 30 minutes... um, yeah, the idea that it's like, I don't think there's any transparency. And it's hard to respect something that you don't know what's going on. But on top of that, where's the accountability? I, I Very rarely you see it. Part of the reason I think it's hard to trust or respect politicians is because they can't recognise strengths in the other side. They're always trying to chip away at people. And I think good leaders can good leaders can put their hand up and say what they're doing over there is working really well and we can learn something from that mm. i think the fact that it it always feels like one side against the other which in reality it often is it's you know hardship you know is challenging success it's good challenging wrong or bad you know there's, there's a lot of those scenarios in life but we can go and there's something happening over there that i respect and can learn from mm. but politicians it's just like they're fucked, they're fucked, they're fucked. Our way's we're the not. right way. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we're going to show you that, but they never show you. Yeah, yeah. Trust me. Yeah. <laughs> if I was running for, for any sort of position in politics, just being honest and transparent, I'd be like, my whole slogan would be Joseph Plum for mayor. Hey, Have you tr- heard? Trust um, me. <laughs> Can you remember your year six speech? Oh, dude, speech? dude, I was. I was corrupt. I was offering, <laughs> I was offering Coke vending machines. I was offering free milkshakes. I was offering. We're gonna have two recesses. Yeah. Oh, dude. I was He's done the polls. I was talking about building infrastructure for on-campus McDonald's. Like none of it was in was ever gonna happen. My twelve-year-old brain knew what the kids you were ready wanted. Ready to build yeah. the best school. Yeah. You, you know, guys like handball? Handball all day. You know what I love? <laughs> have you heard? Um, just a quick sidebar. Shane Gillis, the stand-up comic. I think I was showing you some of his videos last time you boys were over. Yeah, yeah. He, he'd done a piece and he was talking about how he's like, I love watching Trump debate. He's like, it's so entertaining just the way he can get into people's head. 
but he's like the one person he could never break was Biden because he's like, you can't get into Joe's head. Joe's not even in Joe's head. <laughs> <laughs> bulletproof. Uh, yeah. <laughs> bulletproof. No one's home. It's like the, it's like the ultimate defense. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I so guess yeah. we'll get back on track. Um, yeah, so I will, really that's my that's my piece around leadership. I've taken a real interest in this, especially this stage that I'm in in my life now, newly single and looking at the next chapter for myself and going, I've got to get my shit together. I want to be the best leader for myself possible. And what does that look like? Yeah, so I think being a leader of yourself is super important. Um, however that looks for you, finding out what what's important, making decisions, moving towards the goal, um, and yeah, being accountable along the way. I think, um, yeah, being a leader of yourself is probably the single most important thing for me right now upon which the rest of my life kind of spans. Yeah. Starts with me, how am I showing up? And then it kind of like goes into the other aspects. I feel like Rufoon's ready to unload on us here. I can see him looking <laughs> at that journal time oh. and time again, ready. Like I can tell he's ready to dive he's a into greyhound. deep He's a greyhound in the gates. <laughs> yeah. Look at him. He's just frothing at the I mouth. I can see the concentration on his face while he looks at that journal. And here we go. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I was telling the boys briefly before we kicked off. I started jumping into a little bit of leadership work and then obviously as Joey just said like probably the most important thing is leadership of yourself and I agree with that entirely and then I started doing like what does leadership for myself look like and I've basically gone off on a tangent and haven't really come back. Let's <laughs> <laughs> go and walk so, about this bloke. I, think I was telling the boys the other day I grew up on a farm and I had a Kelpie and he's probably one of the most obedient dogs I've ever seen but the only time I couldn't control him is when he seen a kangaroo and we were running and he was just gone and took off. And I think I've discovered my shadow self is like my kangaroo. <laughs> <laughs> like I've taken off and I'm yet to come back. <laughs> so I didn't do Get that. Get home, Freddy. <laughs> I didn't do that much. It was kind of this morning I sat down. I was like, All right, I do, what does leadership mean to me? And I kind of broke it down into three parts. Step one being leadership of yourself. Once you can somewhat master that realm, I guess it's leadership of your close circle. So your friends, work colleagues, family, people at your gym, whoever's in your close vicinity. And then level three would be leadership of the masses. So when I when I did that, like I got to level one and didn't have <laughs> haven't gone past past level one yet. But attributes that motivate me in a leader, I've just wrote down a few here. They live a life that inspires you to do better. I've put their needle movers, like they have runs on the board that aren't up for discussion. Like Chris Williamson, I read his email the other week. I think he's up to 300 million downloads. That's like, wow. it's not really a discussion. It's like, yeah, you, that's can't, like, you can't debate it. <laughs> and I did the quick mass on the 300 million. I reckon that's probably a minimum $15 million just off ad rev, not including brand deals or anything on top of that. So 300 million downloads to a normal person probably doesn't mean anything but everyone knows what 15 million is you know what i love i love how insanely different all three of us are like the fact that foons is the only person in the group that will go back and do the numbers <laughs> foons does the numbers brad writes uh an essay yeah on and i rock up late to my own house <laughs> and just 
look to the heavens for intuition and yeah. bring a definition out of the You're clouds. The most spiritual of all three of us, that's for sure. Um, well, like Alex Mosey's got fifty million dollars in the bank. It's not really a discussion. That's runs on the board. Like it's a that's a needle mover. Mm. You know, can I quickly say, Ferns, just on that because you just mentioned two guys who had a conversation on this, and I think it's really really important what you just mentioned that you know it's not up for discussion because they've done it like they're examples of it and you know those two guys had a conversation about one of the things that you know these these people who are influential in the business space or in these um worlds in which we look at them as examples of success so you know, we, we might look at somebody and go they're an example of success and you know they're saying that you need to have a balance and you need to have this and you need to have that and I love how those two guys have identified that often people speak about and lead in a way that looks flashy, but it's not exactly truthful or realistic because mm. what got them from zero to 10 isn't what got them from 90 to 95. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's understanding that often when we look at leaders or we look at people of influence, we can't just look at the flashy moments or the successful moments and take that as stock as to how we should show up. But it's like actually getting into conversation with those people about how they got from point A to point B. And, and often that's well before, you know, the point in which they're at now. Mm. Yeah, I agree. What probably ties into this point, they reek of authenticity. So you could use, I would say David Goggins is a leader, but I'd also say Gary Vee is also a leader and they're two completely different styles, but I'd say they're, they're authentic to themselves. So I think I would not be influenced by someone if I didn't think they were being authentic to themselves. Like I yeah, think the, the, you can smell the, the malintent. You're like, mm. Mm. it's not like, genuine. Yeah, like something like it'd be an, almost an intuitive thing where you probably can't put your finger on it, but like if they're not authentic, if you don't think they're authentic to their self, then I don't think I'll be able to... I don't think that would motivate me as a leader. Well, not me as a leader. To be led by them. Yeah, that would motivate me to be led by them. Yeah. I'd agree with that massively. Yeah, so authenticity as a piece to... as like a key attribute of leadership. Yeah, I didn't really consider that, but I agree. Because Gary Vee preaches what kindness, empathy, compassion, all those kind of things, I suppose, at one end of the spectrum. (laughs) And you've got... If you want to use David Goggins for... Another example, them, them things are like the enemy. <laughs> like, yeah. man, like, don't use don't any give of yourself them. compliments yeah. ever. <laughs> it's like, yeah, fucking a thousand push-ups or nothing today. Like, mm. gotta earn earn everything. Um, oh, is that a donut? <laughs> <laughs> they have mastered what they preach. So I guess this kind of ties into the authenticity. If like someone's telling me to do something, if they haven't mastered in their own realm, kind of thing, it'll be hard for me to respect them as a leader. I think like couldn't agree more. Such a good point. Mm. Um, well basically practice what you preach, probably sum that up, basically. Yeah, it's interesting and I think that's why sometimes it's it's really hard to I think it's really hard in small business. A lot of people have this problem where you get someone who is the boss because they've been there for the longest time, but they're not exactly the the heavy hitter of the business. They're, they're not the most successful person in the team or they're not the guy that's showing up and doing the things that they're preaching that everyone should do. And you kind of go, you see these examples consistently consistently throughout business and you, you speak to people. A lot of people work within small business and they have these frustrations with their managers. They're like, oh, you know, he's always on our back for 
doing X, but then he does X every day. Or like, you know, I get my head ripped yeah. off when I'm late, but he's okay, late three days a week and he's like, well, I can because I'm the boss. And I'm like, it's so true that that when those people don't practice what they preach and they're not an example of their, they're not ex- an example of what they expect from the people in their I team. Could even, so that into, could even tie that into parenthood. I reckon like if a parent was smoking and telling you not to smoke, you'd be like. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. I'm just thinking, and I'm kind of like debunking it in my own head, but I'm thinking of like those old wise people that are telling you how to live your life, but they they might not even be able to do it themselves. Being like, it's important to be able to exercise and be strong, and but they're like an old decrepit man that maybe once was. Well, I, I think so. You might not have to be able to do it always, but if you've at least been able to prove that it was done <laughs> at no, so a point, I, I did have that thought. We're trying tying it into like if you're practicing what you're preaching, but obviously, um, what would an example of this be? Uh, well, suppose like a football coach, like if he's telling you to run it harder, you'd be like, "Well, you do it." Yeah, yeah. And he's what, like, "Well, he's like, I can't. I'm forty. I'm fifty years old now. I can't." But he has a history of doing it. Then I yeah, think and you respect, respect the history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is, I think, what I wrote in my summary. But if you like, you've never been able to do <laughs> yeah, that, bro. Like, if I was telling Block to run harder, like, yeah, <laughs> what's he gonna listen to me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, he, here's the thing, and this is why maybe for me it was so easy to look at my dad as a clear example of a leader. And, you know, I've got a um, tattoo on my left arm. The first big tattoo I got was of the Hercules statue. And, you know, the way the Hercules statue looks is it looks down as if I'm looking up to it. And that's a symbol of my dad, my role model, the guy that I look up to. And, you know, the reason it's the Hercules statue is because growing up, I looked at my dad as a symbol of strength. Because not only did he preach to me that, mate, you've got cystic fibrosis, you've got CF, you need to keep your health in check. You need to do things that keep you well. Well, I look at my dad and every day he was in the gym or he was going for a run and he used to be a great footballer and he didn't just talk about what he used to do. You he saw showed it. up and did it every day. You if I was it. going for a run, guess who was beside me? My old man. When I went into the gym, I, I used to look at dad's arms and go, holy shit, I want arms like that one day. I'm still not there. <laughs> he still looks better than I do. <laughs> so when he says to me that like, you should do this and you should follow suit, man, what a living, breathing example of that. So yeah. I respect it. But I, this is the thing that I, you know, to get back to those people of influence who can somewhat be leaders, you know, I have this real, real challenge with looking to celebrities who tell people that money will never make you happy, right? So you'd hear that from a lot of people. Like it's a pretty consistent message amongst the, the wealthy. And you go... Yeah, easy for you to say. You've already got a couple cars and a couple Rolexes. And you say you're not going to buy a couple more, but you've already got them. So I'd argue that it's really hard for you to preach that to anybody unless you went and got rid of all those things and gave away all your possessions and then said, ah, I'm happy with very little. But what if their origin story was from poverty? Well, well, here's the thing. I'm, I'm not saying that I don't respect the people who have acquired those things. Because we all want some nice things in our life. We all want some luxuries and some comforts. And if you can get that in a sustainable way and it hasn't changed your character or taken from your authenticity, I respect it. I would Mm. love some nice things in my life, right? But I think I can really respect a person who can talk about 
not needing those things and have a bunch of really smart investments. It's really hard to listen to the guy with a Lambo tell you that you don't need a Lambo. Like sell the Lambo, bro. Yeah, you're like, well, get rid of it then. Well, and I, so I, I can't think, because, you know, like the way that my accounts are set up and it's just like, <laughs> hey, yeah. you're happy with yeah. the Lambo, bro. You're happy, exactly. It. Where it's, I think it's really interesting to then, I think you've got to, and, and I guess what I'm getting to here, I'm mumble, mumble jumbling a little bit, but to respect someone, they really, really have to be authentic to their message. Mm. Like you have to, you look at Gary V and you don't see that guy flaunt he talks about, you know, in your 20s, eat shit, live cheap so that you can follow your passions and you may make less money from following your passions, but if you're happy every day, it's better to be happy catching the bus to work than it is to be crying in your Lambo. And I'm like, I can somewhat respect that from that guy because you never see him pulling up in a flashy car or you never see him in super expensive clothing. So it's like that guy's you got all him, the money in the world. You see him going around to garage sales with his videographer and hustling over a dollar for like yeah. a, a <laughs> so CD. Like, <laughs> I respect that message. The same way that Goggins can say, stay hard. But if Goggins is talking about what he done 20 years ago and now he's lying on a beach sipping a margarita saying, stay hard, motherfucker. Yeah, I'm like, it's hard to buy. Bro, you're on holiday mode. You know what I mean? Like mm. you, can't, you can't talk about staying hard while you're lying on the beach. Sipping a margarita, like you, that's you like, have to be about that life. Yeah, that's like Rick Ross still rapping about slinging cocaine on the block, <laughs> bro. <laughs> you've been rich for the last twenty five years. Yeah. That ain't you anymore. Yeah, but he's like he's talking about the ounces that he moves. It's like maybe once, bro. You've got a Maybach with diamonds in the roof. Like I think it was Andrew Schultz. I didn't buy it. Talking about rap and how it's kind of dying off. I think it was like something on the lines of none of the rappers are authentic. Like none of them live that life anymore. That's why it doesn't, I mean, doesn't it's, cut it's, through anymore. It's the entertainment business, man. It's the same reason why, you know, while she can still respect the talent, you, you often respect the artist who writes their own music more than the artist who just performs music that other people have written for them. Because you're like, you're talking about lived experience that hits hard. I would harder. argue that Taylor Swift's probably the biggest artist in the world. I reckon a lot of people write her songs. Yeah, for sure. And like you, you respect the entertainment, but, you know, people seem to be more emotionally connected to other artists in the way that it inspires them. Like I think Taylor Swift's amazing. Soph and I have got tickets to a concert <laughs> next year. Incredible, right? But I'm like, I... I shut down Taylor Swift and he wasn't buying it at all. <laughs> But I'm like, she writes her own lyrics. <laughs> also, go, also the guy saying, you know, things are tough financially. Drops eight hundred bucks on Taylor Swift tickets. <laughs> they, they were actually, in a, they were actually an early Chrissy present oh, for us. So, you. I'm very lucky to get. You them. selling? A lot of people have asked me. My chemist was like, "How many thousands do you want?" I was yeah, like, Bro, like, "I can't do that to my daughters." Missus. Wanted it. He's like, yeah. "I promised my daughters yeah. these tickets. I'll do anything." I'm like, "I can't do it, mate." Anything. So, so looking forward to it. Two grand. Yeah. And then the last point I wrote was courageous in the face of fear. So I think that's probably even what you touched on before, Brad, when your parents were sitting in the doctor's room, like when they, when they got that news thrown in their face to look at you and still have a smile on your face, that's, that's courageous. You know, Ant Middleton spoke about that on, you know, I read his first book, First Man In, and loved it. You know, I love that military He's mindset. the SAS guy? Yeah. And I heard him talking about it on the show, um, it might have been last week, when they'd done one of their exercises and the idea was to put 
you know, one of the contestants into this high pressure environment where they had to choose to, to fire at the right targets, not shoot at the hostage or the wrong targets or the target that surrendered. And it's one of those in the moment you have to make a decision and you have to be confident about that decision despite dire consequences. And he spoke about an example in his book, I believe it was, where you know he remembers like watching guys who were so competent in training and like through all their drills were outstanding. The minute they faced real life combat, you know, just all of that training and that composure went out the window and they're spraying bullets everywhere. Like, you know, they're lucky to not have friendly fire. Like they panic. And I'm like, you know, easy to talk about that because I've never been in that situation, nor would I want to. But I'm like, it's real. It's really a, a sign of good leaders who can stay composed in the face of adversity. Often do the reps. Yeah. Now they, you know, the more you do that, the more you walk into a room where bullets are spraying everywhere. The more composed you are about what your job oh, is. Another you day st- in the office. Yeah. <laughs> you still recognise there's an element of fear and mm. nerves that go into that, but you're able to compose yourself in the face of it. Well, when you were speaking on your part, Brad, that was one of the attributes that I almost thought about including in my top three i was like oh composure but on the top end as well you need to stay composed when things are going awesome Mm. when you're on cloud nine and you're riding this wave you have to have the composure to go this too shall pass and i i want to remain in the middle so that at the same time when things are in the trenches and you're going through it you're in the thick of it this too shall pass i want to remain in the middle composed um, because it's it's easy to see people get overwhelmed when they're like in the the negative of it, but I think there's something to speak about the composure of getting overexcited by the positive positivity of it, and good leaders are going, this is great, I can taste the fruits of what's happening, but also I need to remain composed because I might be deluded to make the wrong decision here because everything's rosy right now, you know. I think one of you guys mentioned it before that you know, where you lose that com- composure often in those good moments, like a little bit of complacency bleeds in. Mm. And, you know, I, I reflected on, I was speaking to Soph about this the other day, if I look look at where I'm at right now in my career compared to where I thought I'd be around the start of the year, like I'm miles behind. And I question, you know, why is that the case? Well, I walked out of humankind in March having received all this incredible feedback about, you know, the skill set I had as a speaker and how inspirational my message was and, you know, how well I'm going to do in the space and I'm getting all this positive reinforcement from other speakers who are doing what I want to do at the level I want to do it. Mm. And I remember thinking, oh, man, I'm going to be sweet from here. Like, the work's going to come flowing. I've not done, a like, a big gig since. All my gigs have been, like, sort of smaller level stuff that I've had to really, really hustle for. And there was definitely a level of complacency in which I just expected things to work out because it had done on that day in that arena. And it's, it was pure complacency. Mm. Pure complacency that I, I still had a, a drive and a desire to perform at that level and I was still putting in some work and maybe I'm a little bit harsh on myself. But there are definitely things that I, I should have been doing or should have been prepared for that have kind of blindsided me a little bit over the last few months that... I've had to now get into the space of, you know, I actually said just this morning, I said that like, 
you know, working the, the casual job that I'm working at the moment, even if things really like just miraculously kicked off for me, for me tomorrow and all of a sudden I had a heap of speaking work come in, I'd continue to do a bit of casual work every week because I think, you know, remaining consistent and not getting complacent again, that that's some discipline that I need to, you know, continue to do and implement every week for at least a couple of months mm. so that I know I'm, I'm moving in the right direction until the opportunities are so fruitful that you know, I don't have the capacity to do that anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Do you, what do you make of consistency, Fooney? Has that Did that creep into your definitions at all? Um, consistency the only C word I used was courageous. Yeah, okay. I didn't know what was going to come out of your yeah. mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing Foons, I probably would have put money on one word that was going to come out. Uh, well, I don't think... And almost like consistency speaks for itself. Name one person that's successful or successful that wouldn't be consistent. Joe Biden. <laughs> That's a good point. He stumped you there. He's consistently stupid. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's a really great point. I don't think there's many people who have had um, success, let's say, over a long period of time without um, you know real consistency. And I, I would say there's definitely my my consistency in life ebbs and flows. I'm probably. Um, I would say that for a long time I wasn't necessarily a consistent character probably very inconsistent in my early 20s and sort of like late teens i in what in what ways like in, in what areas in many regards like study in yeah, yeah. um in my health you know like god i could be bang on consistent with my food and then just absolutely throw any sort of regard for my health out the window and just be an absolute pig for a couple of weeks and like my, my weight has kind of always ebbed and flowed, you know, between five kilos. My consistency, my habits have always ebbed and flowed. But I think that's one thing that, you know, I think good leaders embody good habits and, you know, we're disciplined with that. And it's something in my, in my life that's improved a lot the last couple of years. But I have definitely... I was actually talking to our good friend, Zachy Bids, the other day and, you know, Bids has been home for the last month or so and we've been trying to catch up as much as possible <clears throat> and he said to me yesterday he's like fuck you're a hard man to catch these days and i was like yeah I'm a, i feel like i'm a man on a mission and in, in some ways the last couple of months i've reflected on the last few years and i think i've taken you know jocko willink who speaks about leadership a lot talks about this concept that discipline equals freedom and i think that i've not had as high a regard for that statement as i should have the last couple of years I think in like leaving my full-time employment and pursuing a dream, I enjoyed the freedom of time that I had too much, lacked some discipline in my work and lost a lot of freedom in the process. Mm. You know, and so now I'm at a point where I'm, I'm like, okay, yes, I do have in many regards um, authority over my schedule, like in, in – 80% of my week, I'm the boss of how things run. I get to decide when I work, how much I work, how much effort I put in. But I don't think I've put in enough effort the last couple of years if I'm being completely honest. I've been somewhat consistent, produced a podcast every week and I've worked towards that and I've you know produced 210 episodes of something in three and a half years, which I'm proud of. But I think about all the free time in which I've kind of just sat around and like 
like not worked where I think I could have. Mm. And I think I've, and don't get me wrong, I think you learn from that. Like in some ways that's a bit of a failure on my part and I've learned that lesson. And I think you need to learn those lessons and, you know, you're better off to learn them early before the, the big opportunities come. But now I'm like, okay, if I've got seven days in a week and five of those are dedicated towards moving the needle of, you know, pursuing my dreams and that being podcast speaking and those opportunities, you know, maybe I'll enjoy one day with, with my partner and my people and I'll try to have you know, that little morning walk with Sophie or we'll enjoy our dinner together and like a little bit of a relaxing night. But from nine to five, lock in. Lock in. Get stuff done. Absolutely. Because, you know, you will be responsible for the failures. We spoke about that before. Sounds accountability. like accountability, man. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. I agree, man. I agree. Summarize the three or four, maybe five points I touched on earlier. Talk is cheap. Leaders are action-orientated or have a strong history that speaks for itself. So I think that ties into the bit before when you're talking about like an old man, if he's not capable, like if he's got a history that speaks for itself and mm. you've got to cut him some slack there. <laughs> for sure. But I think, yeah, basically leading by example, action-orientated, talk is cheap. If um, it's hard to, well, for me, hard to respect someone that isn't, hasn't walked the path that we're trying to go down. And a perfect segue, is there someone that you look up to as a really great example of a leader? Well, at the moment, I draw a lot of motivation from Alex and Mosey, just because where I'm at, want to be an entrepreneur, his story, how his relationship with his father is quite similar to mine, um, and the content that he puts out, like, I'd say seven out of ten pieces like I listen to of him I'm like holy shit like he's on their land huh can I say that like, one of the- I would, I'd even argue sorry to cut you off but I would even argue he's probably kind of that authoritarian sort of like voice which for me that kind of learning or style works well for me and even to well, you psychoanalyze yourself before that's definitely how my dad was with me like that voice was always almost yelling or authoritarian or like do what I say kind of thing. And I even think myself, the, my own voice in my head is an extension of that. So when I hear it, it's kind of just like flaring up a flame. Like I already speak that language in my own mind. Like it's... Yeah. I like I like Hormoz's approach because to me it feels like maybe that happy medium. He's like, I mean, I don't care if you do it or if you don't do it, but if you want to be successful, you got to work fucking a 60-hour week. If you're not successful, don't come and complain about it. He kind of relays it like that. Not like, you think you're going to be successful sitting on your ass doing a 30-hour week? Get up. Like, that to me is... No, I suppose how... Hormoz is kind of like, I think, dude, here's what the, I've done. And you can... Version, I'm not trying to sell you anything, but he's kind of there. Yeah. But it is that same, like, no bullshit. Like, work maybe, harder, yeah, well, be harder, be better, be better. that's a, a better approach why it cuts through. It's just there's no bullshit. And he tells you all the hard shit he's done, which probably makes you respect him even more. Yeah. But like he doesn't sugarcoat anything. He tells you the, he doesn't tell you all the accolades of the, all the amazing life he could be living. He's like, <laughs> he's like, I work in a closet because I don't like windows. I get distracted. <laughs> he's a machine. That guy's AI. <laughs> it's it's so interesting though, because I think that he's, he's one of those guys that when I, when I look at his stuff, I've never personally been super, I don't think, I think because he's so business oriented, 
I've never like been a huge business podcast kind of guy. Mm. And so I've never really taken, like I've heard you guys speak about Alex quite a bit and I've never gone, I've gone, oh, I think a lot of what he says is really good, but I've never been so drawn to what he says. Well, do you consider what you're doing a business? Because it's so personal. It's my story. It's I'm a speaker. I'm being me to the core. That almost feels like it's the opposite of a business, but it's a business. So here's my thing. I remember when we, you boys both were speaking back and forth about a video that you sent into the chat, Joey, about it was like a 20 minute um, like lesson that he posted on YouTube, mm-hmm. like a bit of a whiteboard session or a bit of a PowerPoint session. Mm-hmm. I remember watching it not being like super moved by it. I was like, oh, there's some good points in this, but I'm not like super driven to want to sit down and listen to more of this. And then... Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> no, but here's the thing. This, this is funny. In my reflections over the last probably two months where I've really been thinking about the longevity of what I'm doing and having to think about it not just as something I'm super passionate about or feel super purpose-driven, but, man, this is a business that I have to have, like, there's some responsibility for this work that I'm skilled at or I'd like to think I'm skilled at in it's got to provide a living for me and my partner and my future family. So I need to start thinking about this as a business. And then all of a sudden, one day I'm on threads and an Alex Hormozy thread pops up and I'm like... Brad Driver, pull your head in. Yeah, and basically... <laughs> He could have put my name on it. He could have put my fucking birth date on it. He could have like, literally, he could have sent it to me as a direct message because that's what it felt like. It hit me and I was like, oh, that just that just had an impact. Yeah, That landed. And then now everything I've seen from this guy, I've started to really respect. And I was going to ask you the question, Foons. Do you think because being, you know, you're in that business world in that um, world in which you've created a product, and your job is to sell that product to people and to scale that business. Do you think that because you respect, you know, you're walking a similar path to that of a guy like Hormozy who can influence you? Is that why you feel like it cuts through? I haven't thought about it, but I would say based on the stuff that I've written down here, what attributes motivate me, um, needle movers, he's got runs on the board, um, he's authentic to himself. He's mastered what he's preached and he's courageous in the face of fear. So based off all that, I'd say definitely. And he's trying to, or he's walked a path that I'm trying to walk. So basically everything that he says, I wouldn't take his gospel, but I'm definitely open to open or listening to everything that he says. Mm. It's a, is there anyone outside of your lives, you know, and this is a question for both of you, outside of your lives that you look at who has influence on you and you identify those traits of leadership in them, who is in a completely different space to that in which you exist in or want to move in or, you know, have has walked a path completely different to that of the one that you want to walk that you look at and go, what incredible qualities of a leader. Yes. I think my best mate, James Wellens, and also my other best mate, Chris Sedoni. Similar to our friendship dynamic, those two, along with my other friend Ross Sharp, we all have such different upbringings, but for whatever weird reason, the universe has kept us friends for the longest time. And I look at their lives, arguably successful in their own rights, but we're all so different. You know, James has got two kids under three. 
He's got a, a, a beautiful house that he's built. He's doing renovations by hand and creating this castle, literally a castle on the hill. My other friend, Chris, recently married um, a few years into his career as a, as a primary school teacher and establishing you know, his future with his now wife, Courtney. These are neither two things that I'm so far from. Their lives I'm so far from wanting or having myself. But I'm inspired by their actions as leaders in their own domains. Whilst I don't have any aspirations to be a parent anytime soon, nor do I have any aspirations to be married, it's something that I can still draw from and be like, oh, he's the leader of his domain. He's the leader of his domain. They're the decisions he's making. He's making investments here. Oh, I wouldn't really do that ever, but they are doing that. I can respect it. So, yeah. Do you think that's because you've been close enough to the flame that you can, you know, you know, you've heard them speak about the hardship or the challenges in moving in that direction. You've been able to, to witness that as a close friend. I think so. And maybe that's why I struggle to, um, maybe that's why I struggle to, to really, lean on like celebrities or big figures that I don't actually know personally as these leadership figures because yeah maybe I'm just biased that the people I love care and respect that I've shared open vulnerable spaces with they get my vote way like yeah they get my vote a lot easier than it would someone who I don't know Mm. and I just don't know these guys I'm seeing on Instagram preaching whatever they're preaching what about for you fans I can say my pop, because I've been, well, since he passed away, this is a while ago now, but kind of reflected on the life that he lived probably in the last couple of years. And literally every morning he'd wake up, have a cold shower. This is before cold showers were a thing. He'd exercise in the morning super early. Like he would eat the same time every day, super disciplined. Um, He'd go to bed at like 7.30. He'd wake up super early. And like now that I'm getting a little bit older, I can draw some motivation from my pop and the lifestyle that he lived. Um, in terms, of he's a very disciplined man. Interesting. I, I love that, and I think it's a really good point to sort of finish off on on the podcast. Is I, I somewhat feel as though, I somewhat feel as though, influencers have hijacked this topic of leadership and influence. Yeah. And it's it's a real challenge to everyone listening including ourselves, of course, to not look too far beyond what's happening in front of us for these incredible examples. And, you know, to be able to look beyond it and take inspiration and and be influenced by other people, but to remember that often in our own backyard, these incredible things are happening. And, And often it's in our own backyard and with ourselves individually, as we spoke about, that we first need to show up as leaders. Mm-hmm. And... I think it's it's harder to respect people who you've not been in the trenches with. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I love that you guys both call to people who have like personally had not only consistent but long-term influence on your lives. Yeah. I think even just hearing you say that then was making me almost, you know, influences have hijacked this idea of leadership. I went back to my definition, the ability to influence through this, that and the other. I thought, oh crap, well maybe that's not leadership. It is leadership, but is it good leadership? These influencers are leaders because mm. <laughs> they have influence over people. But are they good leaders? 
that's the question. Well, there's definitely, I think, and and this is what I, I've had, I've had to become, as someone who's, is you know, working as somewhat of a speaker, and has a podcast. I've had to become friends and I nearly touched fingers and it was nearly half romantic. Behind my back, yeah. that would have been strange. <laughs> that, was, that was very romantic. The camera shoot, I would have been like the love child of you <laughs> and Foodie or something. <laughs> um, you Whoa. know, one, one thing I've been very, I've had to be very aware of is try not to polish simple things. Sometimes simple Wait, things can be straightforward. It doesn't always have to be like, you know, how often do we hear about these really like, these really like, fancy concepts that are actually quite simple by nature you know like what we think we hear about these fancy alex hormozzi talks about it these fancy morning routines like let's just get up and get done what needs to get done and like literally it's the question of when you get up in the morning what sets you up for success and a lot of the time it's just doing the thing it doesn't have to be this fancy routine where you talk about the precise amount of CMOS and then, <laughs> you know, the fact that the cold shower was two and a half minutes, not just two minutes mm. because I like to do two and a half or this or that. Like it's, it's often that these things have been hijacked to sell to people online as products or services. And, and I would say that there's all, always these really clear examples of that in your own life in which we don't give credit to those things for or we don't often, um, I, I think we're just trying to overcomplicate it often is what I'm, I, I'm okay, sort of getting to. Shiny bells and whistles to distract you from doing the hard work mm. or what needs to be done. Yeah. 100%. Like, it's honestly one of one of my favourite quotes, which I, I kind of find myself leaning on more and more now, is the Nike slogan, just do it. Mm. Like, so often times I find myself in that indecisive space, like, oh, man, <sighs> like, like, do I do the washing up tonight or do it in the morning or... Oh, I'm so tired. Oh, God, I've still got to meditate. Or oh, maybe I want, like, whatever it is. And then my brain clicked, just do it. Just do it. Just do it. And then as soon as, oh, I'll just do it. And then it's done. Mm. And I did the thing and we can move on. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying, Brad. It doesn't have to be complex. With yeah. reference to the kangaroo that I mentioned before, <laughs> we got sidetracked so so oh, from... Bro. Like leadership of myself, like how do I get better with that? I was chatting to my brother on the phone the other day and he was talking about, he's been reading some um, stuff from Carl Jung, who's a psychologist or a psychiatrist from like the yeah. like 1900s. I think that was like kind of his time. And he, he's, I think he was the founder of or coined the term like his shadow self. And then when I sat down and started doing work on that, like I couldn't stop. Like I was like, that's what I need to focus on right now. That's where my problem was. All Explain that, that concept. What's the shadow self? Well, this is his definition because I was just like, was so, I was literally reading his literature and just writing it down so I can remember it. Aspects of the personality that you choose to reject or repress. It is the collection of these repressed aspects of our identity that Jung referred to as our shadow self. So it's kind of like the dark ego, I guess, like all the things you choose to ignore um, come back and bite you in the ass and even thinking back to my early 20s, like certain act, actions that I did or undertook, it almost felt like someone else was doing it. Like it almost felt like someone hijacked what I was doing and I was almost like the innocent bystander, mm. which I think is the shadow self or basically the devil that lives within everyone. But yep. mine's just a little bit more prevalent at times. Well, I think it's been, able, you know, I heard Aunt Middleton talk about this concept of like your 
I think he called them like your your demons or something along those lines and you need to acknowledge that they exist because if you don't acknowledge that they exist they always have some form of power over you mm. that's the we spoke about um I forget what episode it was on around you know broadening the depth of our emotions and wanting to experience and feel more emotions not just the good ones but the bad ones as well and you create a familiarity oh now i know what it means to grieve now i know what it means to be jealous now i know what it means to be envious and that i'd argue are these like you know um negative dark traits whether it's aggression or jealousy or Mm. you know or you know dark thoughts whatever it is but instead of repressing them let's try to like understand them befriend them be familiar with them so that we're not like so controlled by them. Mike Tyson says it beautifully. Um, I forget who is interviewing, but he talks to someone about and the guy's like um, talking about his opponent. Like, man, I'd never respect that guy. I'd never, uh, like, I'd never, um, I'm yeah, butchering right. it, but he's like, you know, that guy. He's I'm, your master. Yeah, he goes, he goes, he owns you. It's like, what do you mean? It's like, you need to love him. Like, you need to yeah. stop like, Stop trying to run from it or or block it or shut it off because he's controlling you. That emotion is controlling you. You need to go. Hell yeah, I'm scared of that man, or I'm I'm or I'm he, intimidated by that thing, or I'm I'm angry with that thing. You have to admit it, acknowledge it, understand it. I feel like it or it'll could just be Devin control Haney. You. I think it was Devin Haney. Maybe I could be wrong. Actually, no, it wasn't Devin Haney. It was someone else. Who knows? I'm on Hotboxing, and he says he says that if if your feelings towards them changes the way that you act then he's your master he's in control of your actions mm. such a good point yeah and if I, you I, I want shadow self yeah i think with even for me like recalling an incident when i was younger i'd be like in my head i was like i'm not jealous i'm not jealous i'm not jealous and then mom put someone in hospital and i was like all right clearly i was i think i'm jealous <laughs> ignore that for long enough to the point where like it just come out of me and i couldn't control it mm. can i ask you boys this question I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this. We've spoken a lot about being a leader in your own life and the importance of the consistency of that, the consistency of that personal leadership. But are there areas in our lives in which you think, and I haven't thought too much about this myself, it's, it's just something that's sprung to mind. Are there areas in our lives in which, you know, you'd hear your mum back in the day, you walk into the kitchen when dinner's on and she'd go, too many cooks in the kitchen, step out. And you're like, all right, can there be too many leaders in an environment? Are there times when you have to accept that you're not the best person to, to speak up and and there's someone else who has a more qualified opportunity to lead that group and maybe it's your turn to follow. I think absolutely. And I think uh, a main component, similar to the attributes Grant was talking about, um, your ability to listen to the, the advice, the expertise, the experience of other people which aren't your own is probably as valuable as having having something to to say and being the guy that goes he's better at the job than i am as a leader let's listen to him right now he knows more about this area than i do but i can communicate the message and i have the influence to go team now we're listening to this person or now he's taking charge in this arena I think that is a huge leadership yes. quality to be able to stay have. humble and just be a student of the game. Mm. Mm. It's always going to be someone better than you. Yeah, and but, but also not like you have to. A good leader identifies whether it's 
it is the right thing to do or not. Because a poor leader can't just get walked over and every young buck beneath him that's trying to challenge his authority with a new idea just because they have something to say. The leader has to have the discretion and judgment of character to go, I'm taking this one or, hey, it's time to listen to him. So I think that's, that's a really, um, that'd be a really tricky skill. One of the things that Jocko Willink often talks about is as a SEAL platoon commander, he's the leader of his unit. He said that often if we were going to you know, engage in a mission and we had to create a plan for that mission, I'd walk into the room and I'd put the map down and, and lay out the objective as it is. Mm. And he said the first question I'd, I would ask is, you know, he said I would say, this is my thoughts on what would work really well, but let me hear everyone else's thoughts. I think he said that like a leader is... <laughs> what are you laughing about? <laughs> Just looked at you while I take a big bite of this donut. i got cinnamon all over my mouth. <laughs> Talking about leadership. Um, you know, one of the things he said is that you've got to be open to others' ideas as a leader. <laughs> I can't look at you eat that donut. Um, but yeah, essentially, I think it's a, it's a hard skill. And I think what often gets in the way of being able to follow is ego. And I'm like, I've definitely got to, I've definitely have to do a better job of controlling my ego and not wanting to be, or not needing to be, um, the, the leader, the, the person in the limelight all the time. And it's like, it's a challenge for me. Ego is the enemy until it's not. Has anyone else? Hey, has it? I like that. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I feel like you still got a little bit to say, Foods. Um, well, I, I still, I'm off on the tangent of shadow self. I haven't got to the bottom of it, but for my own personal development anyway, I think that's like the next step for me is to um, get all the spores, the skeletons out of my closet and just deal with them head on kind of stuff that definitely when I was younger, that used to be like one of my strong suits. I remember it's like I could go through like hardship and just not even acknowledge it. Just like literally had a rug under my mind where I could sweep it. And I thought like that works in the interim. Like you get a few early wins, you don't have to deal with difficult situations, but <laughs> it definitely rears its head later in life. Well, it sounds like you're um, exercising that close cousin to accountability, which is ownership. Ownership, owning your shit. I feel like that's where you're at. You're like, like, it's time for me to own my shit. That felt like a verse from Slam Poetry. Own a ship, own your shit. Captain of my ship. <laughs> own a ship on a shit ship. <laughs> chips. <laughs> Not my best work. Any final but, thoughts, Spoons? Um, well, I didn't really come back from this show, so um, <laughs> tangent that I was on, but if I had to, um, in terms of leadership, um, for me, I just need to be a better leader of myself first before I can even worry about being a, an influential influential person or leader of the masses or anything like that. I think for me, it's just one step at a time, focus on myself, which is quite selfish, but that's what I need to do. Is that something you desire? To want to be a leader of the masses of a, um, you know, a cohort of people? Not necessarily, but I think it's a natural, a natural path if you are successful. Like my goal is to be successful in some form or realm. I think it's only not right, but definitely be able to be influential or someone like Alex Moses that I draw a lot of motivation from. If I was to be successful, I'd love to give back. 
yeah. and be able to do yeah. it in a way that he does where he just gives out like free information basically to help people i think that's motivating and definitely influential and something that motivates me like if i was to get successful i'd love to give back the way that he does it's almost leadership by default of your success and your example in that case yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah it's it's inevitable if you get to the point where you want to in your life in your mission you're you you will have influence and it's better to do good and be good at influencing than not you know yeah, I think whether we're... people consider mark zuckerberg a good leader or not he's got some influence because he's successful as shit i think like in the the modern era that we live there's never been a better opportunity to be able to give back for little cost like think how many successful people would have come in the generations before us but there's no way they would have been out we couldn't learn their lessons yeah yeah, I Most agree. Certainly, yeah. Yeah. Leadership, leadership, leadership. Well, it feels like that's almost the natural conclusion of the conversation. You've had it all here today. You've had cinnamon donut ASMR. <laughs> You've had conversations on leadership. You've um, had slam poetry. Well, one of the things that I love about our conversations is there's always some sort of crossover between topics. And I feel as though, you know, we've done maybe like seven or so of these now. Well, we've spoken about a range of topics and conversations <coughs> and they all seem to bleed into each other. And I, I think that there's definitely, you know, today one of the things we've spoken about is how often our values play a role in leadership. How, you know, we've spoken about actions and the importance of actions before and, you know, making sure that actions align with values and how important that is for leaders. And, and I guess the... I guess the message for everyone listening is that just all these things are always a work in progress. Mm. We spoke about, you know, leaders um, master their craft. And I think the, the really impressive thing about leaders is even when it feels like they've mastered their craft, they find new levels mm. and they're always putting in the work. And so and I can speak for the three of us when I say we're all very conscious about you know, consistently working towards being not just better leaders, but more so just better men. Yeah. That's the aim of the game, and it um, and it don't stop. Things change, you know. Dynamics change, life changes. We're just mm. figuring it out. Well, if someone wants to be a better leader for themselves, a good question that you can ask yourself, or something that I'm definitely going to be journaling on this week is how to better lead my shadow self into the light. So if you want to journal on that, I'm sure you'll find some um, some stuff in there that you probably won't like. But how to better lead my shadow self into the light. I love it. Think about that. Yeah, think about that. That's some food for thought. Beautiful way to finish. Thank you, lads. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of A Lot To Talk About. It means the world that you guys are in my corner, that you continue to listen to the show every week. And if you could do me a massive favor by following the podcast on whichever platform you listen to it and sharing this episode in particular with just one friend that you feel would benefit from it, That would mean the world to me and it would help the show grow. The more the show grows, the bigger the guests we get on, the more that we can do and the more we can share and support you guys, the listeners, the viewers of the show. Before I go, I want to pay my respects and recognize the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet and record this podcast. The Aboriginal culture has such a rich history in storytelling and as a passionate storyteller, I really hope that the stories we share and connect with on the show can allow the many cultures that now call this beautiful land Australia their home to come together and continue to respect 
the stories and the culture that make this the land it is today. Thank you so much for tuning into A Lot To Talk About. I'll catch you next week. Thank you.